Hey folks, my name's Andy Sido, and you're listening to another episode of Middle Class Rockstar. My guest today is former bassist for Derek Trucks Band and current bassist for J.J. Gray and Mofro and a ton of other people and an all-around good dude, Todd Smalley. Episode 80. Oh my gosh. Every week, every week I look at the count of how many of these I've done now and I say, man, am I still doing this? But it's a ton of fun and we're 80 episodes in. So happy 80th to me. Yay. Um, my guest today is Todd Smalley, really great dude. And he's somebody, he's somebody who is always playing and always learning new songs and collaborating with new people. I I mentioned to him in the interview, um, you know, there's those players that play with big national acts and then hide out in their hometown and, and, you know, don't do anything. And, and he's out everywhere. I mean, you can't you can't go around Denver um, without seeing him play somewhere, whether it be the Appaloosa Grill or Dazzle or Cervantes or um, wherever. And he's in a he's in a bunch of different projects. He's just somebody who loves the music and uh, and gives everything to it. So this was a wonderful interview for that reason. Uh, you've always got a smile on your face, um, you know, talking to Todd. And uh, we we talk about everything. We started off with his early upbringing outside of St. Louis, um, moving to Atlanta, getting into the bass, uh, how he met up with Derek Trucks and the beginning of that collaboration and sort of the, the course of that and then getting involved with J.J. Gray. We also talk about some new projects he's involved in, um, some of the people in the local scene he loves to play with. So it's really a great interview. And I love Zoom. I got to say, if there's one thing... If there's one positive takeaway from the pandemic, it's Zoom. Because we probably don't live any further than, I don't know, 30, 45 minutes away from each other. I could have made an afternoon out of it, gone to see him, stopped by, said hey to my parents on the way back or something. But he was getting ready uh, to leave uh, for the airport to fly down to Florida and meet up with J.J. Gray and Mofro for a tour. I mean, literally right after the interview, that's where he was headed. I'm busy doing things. I'm about to uh, go out of town myself, and so I've got to record like three of these podcasts and edit them, and uh, it was really nice. We just popped it on, hit record, and did our thing. So Zoom is not a sponsor, but thanks, Zoom, for um, helping out with these interviews. I think that's all. I've I've uh, I'm got some fun things going on this summer. I'm touring solo for the first time um, and kind of doing the Midwest some house concerts and things like that I'm really looking forward to. I'm also going down to New Orleans uh, in a little over a week to record some songs with Andrews Osborne, which I'm incredibly excited about. Um, I, I, I just can't wait to hear uh, what we come up with. He's producing a few songs for me, um, and we've, we've really kind of dug in on some lyrics and things, and, and he just has so many wonderful ideas, and I've been working hard on, on, uh, on the songs, and I'm, and I'm excited to see what happens. So fun stuff happening in the next few weeks. And I love that all my friends are getting out and playing again, touring, or realizing that they don't like touring. That's cool too. I've had some friends say, hey, you know what? I'm going to be a producer now. Great. Awesome. Uh, So, you know, it's just cool. It's cool to see um, music, the healing power of music, um, you know, and it's it's all starting to happen again, which is really cool. Anyway, that's it. I I will ramble no longer. Let's jump in 
uh, to my conversation with Todd Smalley. Quick thanks to our sponsors, PQ Mastering. Patrick at PQ Mastering puts the finishing touches on this podcast. And for any of your audio or restoration needs, uh, go to pqmastering.com. Excuse me. Also, Narrator Music for simple and affordable licensing for sync. Visit narratorrf.com. For any sponsorship inquiries, shoot me an email at middleclassrockstar at gmail.com. Todd, how you doing? I'm doing great today. Excited to hit the road again. You're hitting the road today, right after this, right? That's it. Off to the airport. They're going to throw me out. And uh, yeah, we do about nine shows over the next 12 days and uh, do uh, part of the summer tour with uh, Blues Traveler also. So that'll be cool. J.J. Gray and Blues Traveler run. So I'm looking forward to it. Oh, that'll that'll be awesome. And you've been with J.J. Gray for a long time now, right? I mean, at least a decade. Yeah, 11 years next month. Yeah, it's flown by. <laughs> wow. I can't believe it. Yeah, it's, it is. It's been a great, uh, great ride with him. I've known uh, JJ for a long time and the guys in his band personally for a long time, even before I joined him. Uh, Derek Truxby and Amofro would do uh, tours together. So yeah. we got to know each other well. Yeah, yeah. Well, and and I'm thinking about all the players that have been in, in both those bands. And I think the first time we met was uh, at a Greyhounds show. Yeah. Uh, uh, they were, you know, yeah, Anthony and, uh, and uh, that's skipping me right now. Anthony and Andrew. Anthony and Andrew. Yeah. Yes. Um, so I, you're going, and actually, are you, are you flying down to, are you flying into Atlanta? Where are you flying into uh, basically go to, uh, Jacksonville. A lot of the guys are, uh, based out of there. So yeah, we, uh, pretty much jump on the bus there and then nonstop drive and leave at three in the morning every night, you know, and magically wake up in another city. No complaints. <laughs> hey, when you're, when you don't have to drive the bus, there's no complaints to be had. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I, I could do without driving forever. That's fine. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Um, and I mean, you've been getting out. I've seen you around town at Dazzle and stuff like that. You've been getting out and playing some. When did you, um, I mean, I know we've kind of all had our own pace getting back out and gigging around our own hometowns. Uh, how long have you been kind of back out doing your thing? Well, you know, we, uh, I mean, that's why I always say that the musicians i mean of course everyone had it tough but when you get to production and staging and the venues you know there's the really hard hit uh for us i think uh, we went stir crazy after three weeks <laughs> so we started kind of getting together at my buddy uh, ross james house me and him and mark levy would get together and we'd basically just jam on his front porch you know the weather was still really nice there and the neighbors would come around and um we would uh video you know a lot of stuff edit it and start putting it out there and through that we started playing you know a little bit of private parties and things like that and then as he uh pandemic went along we were slowly you know hitting some of the regular clubs that uh we were out at a lot i really have had a lot of breaks you know like everyone but i've been lucky to keep busy recording with people we went to jacksonville and recorded jj's new album got a great really big start on that so yeah i've been 
uh, oddly keeping myself busy, yeah, playing with friends and, uh, God, uh, yeah, a lot of gigs at Dazzle, Appaloosa, uh, my buddy's place up in Vail, Colorado, uh, Maps and Shakedown Bars. So we've yeah. been getting up there a lot, playing a lot of like outdoor shows at the breweries and Breckenridge and Denver and Vail and uh, Evergreen, you know, a lot of cool little spots. So a lot of outdoor gigs. <laughs> yeah, sure. sure. <laughs> and, and has anything changed? For you, gig-wise, personally, I've talked to some people who have said, you know what, I like being at home better. I'm going to be a producer now. And I've talked to some people <laughs> who are like, I'm going to be on the road nine months out of the year instead of six because I got to get out of here. Where where are you at? I mean, if, has anything changed permanently for you or are you just, hey, I'm ready to just get back to what I was doing? Oh, I, I definitely am ready to get back to uh, the you know, Mofro side of touring and things like that. It's a, you know, really great uh, gig, all great friends that I'm fortunate to play with great musicians. So definitely look forward to that, but it is bittersweet. I mean, I love living in Colorado. There's so much going on here musically. If we want to put together a project, Scott Morrill and Cervantes are like, Hey, bring it on, you know, uh, bring the project here. So there's so many, uh, venues you know like that that have uh really kept us going so yeah it, it is kind of tough for a minute you're like maybe i will take a couple years off the road you know yeah. but uh no a- after after a while especially after getting back in uh the studio with jj and that and and we had done a few uh gigs here and there in florida you know again outdoor you know all outdoor gig things and that and uh so yeah i i felt the need to really uh get back at it. And I was glad it didn't feel awkward, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's great. That's great. And going back into the past a little bit, um, I know a lot of your musical upbringing was in Atlanta. Uh, but where did you first get, I mean, where did you, where were you before that? And when did you first start getting into music? Uh, you know, we are, we, I grew up in Granite city, Illinois, outside of, uh, St. Louis, you know, so, technically born in St. Louis and all that, uh, huge music influence, just as a kid, you know, St. Louis is such a, uh, rich musical history there. Uh, my brother and my father were both very into music, you know, and my mother for that matter, you know, yeah. Vinyl and sheet music and they both played guitars. So, uh, yeah, I really got into it. They'd have friends come over the house. They'd have jams in the living room. And that's where I saw my dad's buddy, John, with the sunburst P bass and, you know, the sound and the tone and all that. And I was like, well, both of you play guitar. I'm going to play bass, you know. So I got one when I was uh, 13 years old and immediately uh, just got into private lessons, like all like seven years. You know, I really went through uh, a lot of that, really enjoyed it and wanted to learn the uh, uh, unlock the theory behind playing, you know, some really tough songs and uh, compositions. So, yeah, it just kind of kind of start rolling with it. Of course, you fall in love with uh, learning the song that you've listened to and loved so much. And all musicians know uh, what a wonderful uh, experience and joy that is. So. Absolutely. And and so your parents were, I mean, were they professional musicians or, or just kind of amateurs hosting jams and stuff? 
Yeah, they, they were just amateur. My dad would play like, uh, you know, wedding procession things with uh, one of his friends. And, and that's where John came into play every once in a while. The, they would do a trio like that. But uh, he they were both really into <laughs> really like Willie Nelson and Simon and Garfunkel and James Taylor and things like that. So I felt fortunate to have that uh you know, kind of singer songwriter influence, you know, and, uh, before even picking up an instrument, you know? Yeah. And, uh, yeah. After that, when I got one for the 13th birthday, it was over with, you know, that's they great. Just, yeah. They'd, they'd have to take it away from me when I wasn't pulling my schoolwork off, you know, they're like, all right, the bass is consuming your teenage life. Right. <laughs> So yeah, it could have a been video games, games, you know. I I I'd say yeah. that wasn't a bad thing. <laughs> I still did those, you know. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, Very busy year. Yeah. 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 So, when did you? Was it shortly after you got into lessons that your family moved uh, to Georgia? Yeah, we moved there when I was about fifteen years old, and I still. Uh, I used to go to Metro Music, and uh, Greg Kerbo was a luthier down there. My first uh, bass teacher was uh, Michael Cady, great guy and uh, great musician. So, yeah, just really, uh, you know, ran with those guys for probably about three years or so. And then I got into the uh, Atlanta Institute of Music. They had one there. They, uh, I guess the Hollywood uh chapter to open one in Atlanta and Nashville for a short time. Uh, and so the Atlanta Institute of Music was happening and I had a great bass educator there, Russ Rogers and all the great teachers there. And coincidentally enough, Jimmy Herring was one of the teachers there. Wow. And I was like 20 or 21 years old. And of course I was studying bass, but uh, I would go, you know, sit in on his classes and uh became friends with a lot of his students and that so wow uh, yeah yeah at that point you know really started uh running around atlanta a lot and at that point i guess you know i'm like 21 or 22 then we started playing around uh little five points in those areas a lot Colonel Bruce Hampton and Tinsley Ellis and Jeff Sype would come out and they'd watch our band butcher Jimmy Smith songs and things like that. Yeah. You know? <laughs> I mean, did, did they, they loved our intention, I guess, you know? So, yeah. So that, that was really how I ended up meeting up with uh, Derek was uh, really through Jeff, Bruce and Tinsley. Uh, when Derek was looking for a bass player, they had uh, recommended me and I was probably 23 at that point some 22 or 23 and and now what was it what do you think it was about your playing or personality at the time that had a guy like tinsley ellis recommend you for that gig uh, uh with derek well uh, you know i always jokingly say that when i was 22 i probably looked like i was 18 you know so it worked out great you know yeah 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 <laughs> about the same size then no but seriously they were uh uh they were really into you know what well, I, I guess they really dug what we were doing musically in town the star bar was the spot everyone you know would come out to and hear all the local guys there were a lot of spots down there the homage and little five points pub you know incredible history in atlanta you know and so i i think that they were 
they probably liked the fact that we were young and into Jimmy Smith and Albert Collins and Elmore James and things like that. And, you know, they're like, oh, cool. We'll go hear this band, you know, butchering these songs, but at least they're trying. Yeah. <laughs> no, yeah. They, they were always very kind, you know, like uh, Jeff and Bruce Tinsley, God, Jimmy, O'Teal, all of them, Kofi, they were just incredibly mm. uh, encouraging, you know, really wanting you to, uh, get out there and play and uh, uh, supporting, you know, your uh, talent, I guess, you know, they would really uh, kind of boost your ego there. They're like, you're, you're doing it, man. You know, keep doing what you're doing. <laughs> so they'd come, they'd, yeah. they would come out and watch. I mean, they'd come watch the younger guys and, and guide them a little bit. Yeah, definitely. Bruce, uh, you know, Colonel Bruce, we'd, we'd always call him the uh, scout, you know, because he was always, uh, it seemed, you know, had his eye out on other musicians and things like that. And he'd be like, oh, I like that guy. I like that guy. And it was, you know, part of the reason he had so many uh, great bands. And, you know, over the years, he was constantly digging into, uh, you know, what was going on around him musically. Uh, yeah, the, those guys, they seem to know everybody. <laughs> and that's probably why, you know. So, yeah, I, I thought it was cool. They were just always very supportive of us simply you know uh, always giving us the encouragement to uh do you know music professionally and i, I remember at one time uh bruce and dan matrazo came up to me and I, and uh they said well they said you're done for and i said what do you mean they said you're a lifer they said you've been here like seven years now there's no turning back you know yeah, yeah. <laughs> i thought that was great you know i was like yeah you're right i am a lifer you know let's do this forever so ah that's so cool. supportive what, what an amazing scene uh you got to you got to come up in and and i hear atlanta at that time too had a lot of different um types of music going on too i mean just it was a big melting pot of things right it, it really is. Yeah. And you enjoy it. Just uh, the Southeast in general. It was really uh, an incredible influence, I think, to be uh, close to, uh, you know, the coastal cities of so much great music in Memphis, and Nashville, and Knoxville and, you know, of course, Atlanta. And God, I, I would drive to New Orleans just the hell, you know, for the hell of it when I turned 21. You know, it's eight hours away. And Jazz Fest is going on. So, yeah, we used to go all the time you know just for the heck of it get in the car and go to memphis you know yeah barbecue for lunch you know <laughs> graceland in the afternoon yeah it was fun it is a cool spot to grow up around it was a huge uh influence in that sense i, I really probably got into more of the delta blues things and stuff like that being close to clarksdale and you know uh yeah. those spots we used to do those too go to the blues museums and Derek and I would call Junior Kimbrough and harass him, you know. <laughs> Let's come over to your house. Did he let you come over to his house? Yeah, I, no. He's <laughs> like, I'm tired. Leave me alone, kids. Yeah, but we did uh, call him years ago, and JoJo Herman was always, you know, cool with that. Uh, we'd get into town. He'd kind of take us around to all the cool little uh juke joints that we didn't know about and it, yeah really cool experiences there you know you're like ah, i don't want to leave <laughs> mississippi wow. for a couple days yeah it's fun you know a lot of great 
influences in the southeast definitely and, and as i hear you talk about the southeast and, and we have a great scene here in here in colorado but when we talk you you don't uh, you can't go to graceland in the morning and then have barbecue <laughs> or, or whatever because we're so far away from other big cities i guess so it's, it's just different so it's interesting you know i came up here it's interesting to hear you talk about that uh, that region of the country um Oh, I always loved that. Yeah, being in Atlanta, just having yeah so much around you, yeah, and even the guy, the state of Georgia, just the history of music there, and you know, real innovators who've you know come from you know the state. It's uh, yeah, it all kind of uh, rubs off on you in some degrees. Yeah, yeah, and and so now when you started running around with Derek, you would have you said you were about twenty three, so he was what fourteen, fifteen, sixteen, something like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, I think Derek was probably like fifteen, and yeah, we were. Uh, uh, it was me and him and his dad on the road, and we had another uh, guitar player producer and a couple other friends from Atlanta at that time, uh, Ron Roper and Ricky Fargo. Yeah, that was the first like you know, band that I played in the uh, trucks band with, that was probably around uh, 94. Once we really started uh, rolling and put together a set list and, you know, what we were really going to do on tour. And Derek was really getting into uh, a lot of, you know, Wayne Shorter and Miles Davis. And he was always into Delta blues and stuff like that. But we started incorporating more of uh I think our influences from all over, that was the point where Derek was like, hell, I want to play Mr. PC. And it, and it was cool. You know, I was like, Oh shit. You know, he's really, really into this. And, uh, we just kind of ran with it and the set list, uh, became pretty eclectic. Yeah. (laughs) Well, and as you guys first really started playing together, I mean, was he just some kid and you'd been hired for a gig at, at first or did you guys develop a good friendship right away, even with what what at the time would have seemed like a big age difference, I'd think? Yeah, I um, I met, you know, Derek again through those guys. But I remember the first time seeing him, I was running with a buddy of mine, uh, Robert Page. He had a great band called the Urban Shake Dancers in Atlanta. And uh, and he took me out to see Derek one night across the street from the Fox Theater. And of course, I was blown away and he was in town with this Florida band. And when I found out that Jeff Seipen, Bruce, you know, Colonel knew him, uh, I was like, oh, man, you know, this is really, really cool. And Bruce was like, hey, well, he might be coming to Atlanta to audition musicians and yeah we just kind of coordinated the thing and that was that and you know it it wasn't an awkward thing because quite honestly you know of course I'm still trying to you know learn music and figure out these roads and paths to be a musician here and how is this going to work and I felt that uh Derek was in that same thing you know since he's like uh 16 but he's really like 50 (laughs) right so he was really into studying you know all this music and it was like he was at just such a high level already that when we met and started getting into this music you know really together you know and uh discovering you know Wayne Shorter and you know things like that more in-depth stuff and uh we really got into a lot of world music because of uh Jeff Seip, he was a huge influence there and got us into like a lot of, uh, 
Nusrat, Fatih Ali Khan, and Ali Akbar Khan, and a yeah. lot of like Wali Sufi vocal music and just cool instrumental uh, Indian classical and all kinds of world music. So yeah, it's a uh, uh, incredible influence putting all those together, and we were both really digging into all that stuff, you know. And did you guys have the freedom to dig into whatever you wanted to musically? I mean, I know he, I mean, he was under a spotlight at a very young age. Um, I mean, were you guys supposed to play straight ahead blues at first? Or, yeah, I mean, I, what, what was that? What was that like? I, I'm sure you're, you're, you're right. There is a point of that where I'm sure uh, people expect you to do uh, what, bb king did or whatever any of the greats are or say what greg allman and the allman brothers did you know they expected to do something along those lines uh maybe here and there you know we caught that i think a lot of people knew that Derek was pretty talented for his age and even outside of him being you know butch's nephew that they really wanted to give him a chance to uh perform and play because believe me we played every funky bar you could <laughs> all over the u.s and canada so yeah, yeah it, it, we got a lot of uh opportunities but uh i think that some people probably did expect that and we said the hell with it and just kind of plowed right through and some nights we might play all blues you know if we're in the mood you know yeah <laughs> and some nights we might play mostly you know jazz and you know uh, funk songs or whatever rb stuff so wow wow and yeah. what kind of clubs were you guys playing at the bar i mean were you guys doing small bars at that time or was it already in in theaters and things definitely yeah we were definitely doing you know small bars and yeah getting 500 bucks a night and Derek was probably losing his ass every week you know and yeah it was a yeah we were truly grinding it for the line band and you know, following around, uh, you know, uh, major acts to be the opening spot. And, yeah. <laughs> you know, we'd have, we'd have to do our show and then we'd have to leave and start driving. We couldn't even watch the headlining band, you know, wow. those type of doors. So, yeah, quite a few years of that, you know. And then, of course, Derek joining the uh, Allman Brothers, you know, changed quite a bit of that. And even, you know, by the time he had joined them in uh, 98 or so, I mean, God, he was just on fire, in my opinion, you know, yeah. incredible musician already. So, And when he was doing things like that, you know, I mean, did what else were you doing musically at that time? I mean, were you playing with some other projects as well, recording with some other people or was that your was that your gig for a while? Well, I, that was definitely the main gig, but uh, Derek was such a workaholic. I mean, when the Allman Brothers would do their Beacon run, uh, we would head up there and play, you know, late night after party things, New Orleans style, you know, start at one in the morning after the Brothers Beacon show. And I think a lot of the guys in the band did that. You know, JMO would take the opportunity and O'Teal, everyone would do put together a little project because you're hanging and manhattan for you know three to four weeks so uh we would head up there and do gigs in between on the allman brothers summer tours uh sometimes we'd be the opening opening band you know and hit the road with them and then Derek would have one night off from the allman brothers and the trucks band was out doing a gig it was insane wow I mean, 
Yeah, I mean, when he says that he played 300, you know, <laughs> 20 nights a year, it's probably not any kind of exaggeration, but because between the brothers and all the projects he was doing, and then, yeah, we would run in any space we could get in between, we would do a gig. Wow. And, and yeah. what do you think is the most gigs that you've done uh, in a calendar year? I know you've been a, a road dog for many years. I, I'll bet with Derek, I, we did as many as, you know, 200 or so, you know, in a year, probably 200 when we were really running like mad, you know. Now, days on the road, it's probably a few more than that. <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> we probably get some records there, you know, 300 or almost 300 days a year on the road. But, you know, you're uh, at that point, we were uh, we were fortunate to be busy and, you know, you're traveling abroad quite a bit so yeah and and was uh were you playing with bill uh, mckay at that point too that was kind of the second version of the uh Derek trucks band um after ricky and ron split uh Derek and i hooked up with jan rico scott mm -hmm. the late great jan rico and the three of us uh that's where things really honed in as far as uh uh, really incorporating more of, you know, kind of jazz standards or whatever, you know, even 101 jazz standards for that matter. But, you know, Rico was uh, such an incredible musician and a huge influence on both Derek and I that the minute the three of us met, we started to kind of form things that way. Uh, when Bill joined, we just couldn't ask for a more perfect musician to play B3 and sing his ass off. I mean, it was just a, a really cool uh, version of the band. And yeah, Bill's a great musician, really talented. So we were lucky to have him in there. So yeah, at that point, the four of us really started running and then we started recording, you know, the albums together. I think we did about three together with that lineup. Okay. Okay. And then that eventually... Well, they, well, there was another lineup after that, too, right, where Co Kofi joined? Yeah, and, and we had uh, another uh, singer, friend of ours from uh, Connecticut, Javier Colon. He sang with us for a couple years. And uh, after that, that's when we met Mike. Kofi had joined the band, and then Mike joined uh, about not long after, probably six or seven months afterwards. And, yeah, that was... Uh, that was kind of, and then the count in Bootu, of course, also. So yeah, we uh, we were stacked then. <laughs> wow, what a what a group! And that, I mean, did that end after Road Songs um, and Tedeschi Tedeschi Truck formed, and you went on? Uh, to, yeah, to yeah, exactly. We did already free, and we did uh, Road Songs, the live album from that tour, and we had uh, some friends of ours from Atlanta do the horn section thing. We, uh, yeah. Wow. We, uh, that was really, yeah, a lot of fun rearranging a lot of those tunes and incorporating some other, uh, uh, we were, I think we were getting into a little more, uh, horn section R and B type of things, you know, at that point. So yeah. that was a cool man. And, and so after that splits up, I mean, you didn't spend much time sitting at home. I mean, didn't, didn't, uh, Mofro, weren't you on with them very shortly after that? I was so fortunate to, yeah, I think I had about five months at home and JJ happened to need a bass player. And of course the Greyhounds 
were playing with them then and my buddies uh dennis marion and art edmiston and uh they knew that i had just gotten off the road with Derek, and uh that i was hanging out at home playing gigs around atlanta so yeah it was uh incredible timing you know yeah <laughs> you feel fortunate there it's it's hard to find a gig sometimes you know so yeah two, two great gigs and how did your approach change when you went from uh, uh trucks to mofro did was there any uh base i mean in terms of your instrument or your in music in general was there any, did any approach change for you or did you do kind of the same absolutely absolutely it did yeah when i got on board with jj immediately i was kind of got my uh fender p bass James Jamerson bass out with the flat rounds on it. And he definitely, I mean, Derek always loved those tones too, but uh, I think you always take into consideration uh, the types of rooms that you're playing, you know, how loud it is, things like that. So with Derek, I played a jazz bass a lot, but with JJ, he really wanted that P bass sound up there. So it, it definitely is. I mean, with JJ's gig, it's, uh, uh we get to play i mean we really do but there is there is a different angle of it you know he is uh one of the things i love about working for him is that he really knows what he wants how he wants it to sound how he wants the line to go the dynamic of it the you know everything about it he's very good at uh uh, composing and orchestrating and arranging what he wants to hear you know so i really enjoy that about working with him you know no different than Derek or any other great musician but it was nice to jump on board with someone who is again like a singer-songwriter type of thing and, and and it was great to kind of bring that type of musicality into your playing you know you're kind of laid back more and uh you know I might go a whole week without taking a bass solo, you know, <laughs> <laughs> sounds great. You know? So yeah, but it, it is, it, it's a little different departure, but I have to admit, we really get to play in both bands, you know, and I think both of those bands have a lot of, uh, uh, similarities in that sense to where they can really, uh, lay down a song and lay down a groove and not waver from it. Or they can just, you know, blow like mad and, you know, really take a, you know, mean solo and, you know, do some cool grooves. So, yeah, I think in both bands, I've been lucky to simply get to play, you know. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, with these arrangements you're talking about, JJ knowing exactly what he wants. I mean, on these songs, how much creative freedom do you have writing your own part? Are you, do you hear the song and say, let me try this? Or does, does he say, hey, I'm looking for exactly this on the bass? Yeah, he, well, you know, I, I think that he is, uh, he really knows the general idea that he wants, you know, the basic sound of it. But yeah, he, he would have kicked me out of the band long ago if I didn't really dig into it or, or put some of what we do. And it's like pretty much the, uh, you know, the mantra of all the musicians that he's hired, you know, he definitely gets those guys. So they do, you know, put a little bit of their influence and all that. And we all have a lot of the same influences. So we hear where each other is coming from, you know, and I'm like, Oh, okay. I think I hear what you want to hear. He's like, yeah, that's what I want to hear more of that. You know? Yeah. So 
Yeah, very encouraging, absolutely, to be creative and, you know, put some stuff on it. And if you put too much on it, they'll let you know, too, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, sure. Like, all right, enough Paul Jackson. Route Let's five, play. route five. Yeah, lay it down. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh. Oh, that's that's and then eleven years have gone by, but you've done a lot of other stuff um, in there too. Who are who are some other? What are some other projects that you you're feeling very passionate about right now or, or within the last few years? Oh, the, uh, a lot of them. We've had uh, just some great lineups. Uh, just day before yesterday, we did uh, three nights. It was uh, Scott Law, Ross James put it together with uh, Mark Levy and Adam McDougal and Nikki Bloom singing. And we just had a blast, man. We just like rearranged, uh, Adam wanted to do a Bee Gees tune and we, uh, did a bunch of country songs and we did, uh, originals of Scott and of Nikki's and originals of Ross. And then we did a bunch of, uh, uh, Dylan and the dead, you know, uh, compositions and that, and Jerry versions of Bob Dylan songs. So yeah, really good time. So that's been fun to do that. I love getting up to Vail, my buddy, Scott Redner playing with him and, uh, maps. He has a really cool, uh, foundation up there. Yeah. I'm so lucky to play with, uh, Mark Levy a lot. Uh, Mark is great, uh, great friend and incredible musician. So we've been lucky to do, we're getting to hundreds of gigs together now. So yeah, I could go on and on. There are so many great musicians. Uh, uh, we just did a all night of traffic with CR Groover and my other buddy, Sean Gilmore. And then, uh, and then Gilmore and I have a project called evil Dave with, uh, Sean Eccles. Yes. And he's, yeah, you know, Frasco's guitar player. So yeah, it's crazy. So, you know, so, some nights I get to play with, uh, part of the lettuce guys live in town and the Frasco guys live in town. And it, there's so many new master sounds, you know, <laughs> it's like, yeah. it's incredible. Yeah. You go out some nights. Yeah. Motec guys, Dave Watts has been incredible. And Joey and Garrett, all of them, man. Great guys, man. It's it, what, uh, Sean Eccles was just on a few weeks ago and he mentioned Evil oh, Dave too. So I gotta, I gotta go, uh, check out that project, but it amazes me how many i mean what we have in the scene here there's just all kinds of musicians and a lot of those like oh wait she lives here he lives here i can't yeah i mean i'm telling you i I thought of five more you know in between that it's incredible yeah dj williams just a ton of great uh musicians my buddy uh deshaun alexander you know d vibes he's a great musician also so wonderful playing with all these guys uh yeah i mean my buddy you know Flaherty, you know, Matt and all those guys will get together and do all night of Zappa sometimes. And yeah, it's really cool. It's like, uh, what do we feel like doing? You know, oh, we'll do all Dylan in the Dead tonight. And and then of course every, all the venues, you know, or like especially Cervantes are like, oh, bring it over here. We'll do it here. We'll so yeah, it. We, it's it is incredible. It's nice to have uh so many uh supportive venues around here an incredible fan base that shows up all the time <laughs> you know well every time. you're a touring musician i notice who when you're home you're always out i mean you're playing you're doing all these projects you're at cervantes you're at dazzle you're at appaloosa um you you just love to you obviously just love to play um 
what does your repertoire have to be like to play in, in all these projects? I mean, do you ever get involved in something where you're like, you know what? I have no, I mean, the, I mean, the Dylan catalog and the Dead catalog, for one, they're gigantic. I mean, yeah, do, you, exactly. do you find yourself in situations where you're like, you know, I don't know that one. I don't know that one either. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. You just, you really dig in. Well, but, you know, I'm a, I'm a pretty big Dylan fan. So, you know, they, it, you're right, though. You can still get stumped because both of those catalogs are massive and, you know, what cover uh, tunes they cover. But I, I truly enjoy it. You know what I mean? It's like, I, I love that aspect of it. Uh, any musician would obviously tell you, yeah, you learn 20 to 30 songs of another artist's, you know, uh, book and repertoire, uh, you're going to become a better musician like that next week, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so when I actually had to learn, you know, 20 plus traffic songs for this last Saturday gig, man, it was wonderful. You know, I've listened to that stuff for years, but I feel it, yeah, it, it just adds another great, you know, piece of musicality to you, you know? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And what does, I, you're about to do these dates, you're leaving momentarily to do these dates with uh, with J.J. Gray and Mofro. Once you get back, what does the rest of the summer uh, and early fall look like for you? Well, I'm going to go play a couple gigs with uh, Marcus Rezac and Todd Stoops and Dave Watts. We're going to do uh, a Schofield tribute at Dazzle in a couple weeks. And then we're doing uh, yeah a couple festival gigs and that. So we'll do those. And and after that, I'm lost. You know, I think I'm actually taking a week off, you know. Okay. Get out with uh, my wife and daughter and go to California for a week. So, oh, that'll yeah, be we'll wonderful. do that. And then hit the road with JJ again. And, yeah, one, we'll really start running with JJ quite a bit uh, into July, you yeah. know, on for the rest of the year. So I'm excited. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. Well, if it, if you don't mind, stay on the line with me uh, for just a second. But in you know, in front of our audience, I want to say thank you so so much for taking the time to chat with me. And uh, you know, we'll get you to the airport here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> on my way to Florida. Here we go. Hey. Well, thank you. Thanks for having me, Andy. Great time. You know. Appreciate you. That's Todd Smalley. What an awesome dude. Uh, he's going to have a great run with J.J. Gray and, uh, and wishing him safe travels. Um, if you would like to support the podcast in a non-monetary way, you can do so by giving this thing a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. It just takes a second and does help out in a huge way. If you'd like to help out in a monetary uh, way I am now on Patreon at patreon.com slash Andy Sido, S-Y-D-O-W. Um, and I put up some exclusive content on there, um, put up my new music early, uh, ask for opinions on things and, and stuff like that. But you can help out there for as little as $3 a month. And as Joe Pug says, that's less than the price of one cup of coffee per month. All right, that's all I got. Questions, comments, hate mail, death threats, send them to me at middleclassrockstar at gmail.com. Have a great week, and I'll chat with you next time.